Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mind. I bet you come way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. We talk Memphis, you sound so good. We talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, if you've been listening to the news, we've got a program we're going to kind of help you understand a little bit what's going on with Great Britain and the exit from the EU. And the whole program's kind of lined up to talk about a couple of those things. That's the first half of the program. But the second half, role reversal. Am I taking care of my parents? That's Mac Bailey, and we've got Nathan Powell with us. We're going to kind of dive into the whole reality that you have to make decisions, sometimes tough decisions, as parents caught in that sandwich generation, taking care of young kids, but also having a take care of the parents. That's today's program, but before we get started, I want to welcome, uh, you know, my old sidekick that's been around for a long time, does a great job for me, Keith Quinn. Keith, what in the world happened? Uh, good morning, and that's the question on everyone's mind. What happened? You know, you know, yesterday we were around the table and listening to everybody at 3.30, and uh, it was lined up. The exit polls were telling us that looks like that we're going to move right into continuation of the EU, and everything was going to be as normal. Yeah, and of course we're talking about the Brexit vote they had in the United Kingdom yesterday, whether they were going to remain a member of the EU. As of yesterday, the polls were indicating that the leave camp or the stay camp was a little bit ahead. The markets were certainly in indicating that they believed that they were going to remain in the EU. We had the market. S&P 500 uh, was up yesterday. Dow up about 230 points. Uh, but then the, that's not how it worked out. About sometimes midnight the, sometimes last night, the polls you were, were up wrong. watching. I was up I watching. I was, and, yeah. Uh, you know, they do. All of a sudden, they say, hey, we're going to call it. It looks like we're going to be exiting the EU. What's that all about? Well, Ultimately, this is about sovereignty, right? When you look at the United Kingdom as part of the EU, they were having rules and regulations imposed on them by Brussels, uh, the head of the EU, the capital of the EU. But it was not just by elected officials. This was by people who had been appointed to uh, uh, put together these rules. So there was this issue of sovereignty. There was the issue of immigration. Uh, the United Kingdom felt like they didn't have control of their immigration policy. The debate whether, you know, more immigrants equals more workers or does more immigrants equal more of a strain on social services. So there were a lot of issues going on, but ultimately I think it did come down to sovereignty. Well, if we talk about that, you know, we had the sad news last week of assassination of members of parliament. Right, Joe Cox was right. assassinated last and week. And that is such a that was such a terrible terrible thing to happen. I I actually thought they might even say we're not going to have the vote. Well, they suspended campaigning, campaigning for a couple of days. She was in the stay camp. Um, you know, but this was been a hotly contested issue. Uh, again, as of yesterday, we would have thought they were going to vote to stay. They did vote to leave. But I would caution everyone to th remember, this is going to take at least two years to play out before they can even put the rules in place to leave. So when you see the markets correct this drastically, there's nothing fundamentally different this morning than there was yesterday. Talk, uh, talk to me, though. Explain, you know, you, you kind of hit the uh, the impact of sovereignty. Right. But why is it such a market thing? And, you know, you talked you earlier as we were preparing for the program. Britain's down about 4%. Right. But, but other members of the EU are taking it on the nose today. Is this the kind of the beginning of the end? Well, and that's always the question. You know, so what does this signal for the long-term viability of the EU? Now, remember, there's two different entities at work. There's the EU, 28 member countries, and there's also the Eurozone, 19 countries. These 19 countries all use the euro. 
Eng uh, the British didn't use the euro. They stayed on the pound, so pound sterling. So they had a different currency. But does this signal that other countries would be willing to leave the EU? Some of the countries hit a lot worse overnight. Um, Italy, Spain, both down a little over 10%. You know, the Germans were down around 8 uh, So it's one of those things where typically when you have something like this, it was the shock factor more than anything, just that, as we said, no one really expected the vote to go this way. So it kind of caught people off guard. Typically, the markets, when they get into this kind of a selling frenzy, overshoot. Uh, so I'm pretty sure we'll overshoot to the downside. But as we work through this, could definitely be some pressure on the markets, especially the financial markets and the banking system, London being one of the big centers for banking currency trading. So how that plays out is going to be uh, something that we'll have to keep an eye on. And again, nothing's fundamentally different, but this was a big vote and it is a big impact in the EU as a whole, you know, one of the biggest uh, global producers. So we talk about headlines. And that headlines has created some uh, issues. I know earlier futures were down as much as 750 points. They were last night. They were down right. a lot. They've recovered a lot. You know, we were down about 450. I guess we're getting ready to kick off here in about 20 minutes. Uh, so we'll see what happens. You know, we would expect the market to move down today. Right. Um, but volume then we, is not what it needs to be. No, it's not. And, and, you know, lower volume does lead to more extreme moves. You know, we think about... Uh, how does that impact our con uh, companies here in this country? Uh, we look at exports. We're only right around 3.5% of our exports actually go to the United Kingdom. That's not an insignificant amount, but it's also not a huge amount. So it's one of those things that, you know, are the British people going to quit buying goods and services? Well, no. Uh, but will this impact the British economy? You know, some est estimates would be it would knock as much as four points off their GDP, anywhere from two to four, could push them into a recession. Uh, but again, these are unknowns that we'll have to see how it plays out. And we still don't know everything that's going on. This is very early in this very process. Very early in this process. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this quote-unquote partnership that's maybe being offered to them. I want to talk about more about that. But when we come back after this break, we're going to talk with Mac Bailey and Nathan Powell. We're going to talk about being in that sandwich generation. Keith's going to be back at the second half of the program. Program and we'll get into some of the things that the fundamentals, even when the headlines tell you, uh-oh, that's okay, because we do do things fundamentally, we do stay the course, and that's important for you to understand of that today. And Keith's going to walk you through that step-by-step -step process. As our investment, uh, head of our investment department at uh, Shoemaker Financial, Keith always got some great insights, and we're going to dive into those insights with him in the second half of the program. When we come back, Mac Bailey and the Bailey Law Firm, along with Nathan Powell, as we talk about the sandwich generation and what to do. Got some questions. We'll be right back. Jim Shoemaker and Nathan Powell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan, it's the results. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Podcasts of the Talk Money program are available for iOS mobile devices. Go to the iTunes store and search for Shoemaker Financial. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, 
Jim Shoemaker. Well, my guest today, of course, as I told you earlier, is Mac Bailey and Nathan Powell. We're going to be talking about the real issues of living in that sandwich generation where you've got to make decisions. Maybe you're taking care of an elder parent. Uh, and so Mac has been a guest, a frequent guest of ours. He concentrates in his practice in the area of estate taxation and planning, asset protection planning, charitable gift planning, business succession, and he is a specialist in elder law. We're always interested in talking to him about elder law because it's a, it's really a growing part of our demographics, uh, not only in Memphis, but across the nation. And we do find ourselves having to make tough decisions sometimes of what you do with that parent that has been your caregiver in, when you were a child. Now the role has reversed. Mac, uh, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you. Glad to be here. You know, Mac, we talk about elder law, and for our listening audience, uh, give us a definition. You specialize in elder law. In fact, you're one of the only ones in the city, if not the only one, that has that specialty. What is elder law? Well, elder law is legal issues that affect seniors or elders. Uh, and so these are uh, issues that are specific based on an individual's age or needs at that time at their point in their life. So specific needs. And, and so if I have a parent that is at that age where I'm having to make tough decisions, you're the person I'm seeking out to help me do that, correct? Correct. Someone that maybe is trying to determine how they're going to pay for their long-term care, what type of legal documents they need in place in case they become incapacitated, or what kind of legal documents they need to be in place upon death. You know, Nathan, you've got questions. We, we always told everybody from last week and tell everybody all the time that if they've got questions for us to contact us, either yeah. call us at the office or send us a question at Talk Money at Shoemaker Financial. And you've got some questions today that yeah. I want you to kind of help guide us through the questions, get these answered mm -hmm. from Mac. So so start with that, sir. Sure, yeah. We, um, we had some really great questions, especially over the uh, course of last week. And one in particular that we'll start off with is a situation that you know, a client describes it said they have a home in memphis they own a building in mississippi and they own a condo in south carolina so we've got three different properties three different states and they're wondering if i die do i have to be probated in each of those states and if so i mean what are the ramifications of that how do we navigate that uh, that's a common question and a common issue that we arise in our practice is where people own real estate in more than one state. And if you do own real estate in more than one state and you don't have a revocable living or grantor trust, then you have to probate the estate first in the state of residency, and then second, in this case third, in each state that you own real property. So actually you have what we call a triple probate, and that would triple the cost of probate and maybe probably increase the time delay associated with probate. And how do we, yeah, how do, how do we navigate that? How do we, you know, stop the process of having to be probated in three different states? You mentioned something, sure. but can you be a little bit more specific and go into that? Yeah, the best option is to have what we call a revocable grantor or living trust. Colloquial term is living trust. Okay. And that living trust is designed to hold all the assets in each of the three states so that upon the death of the person that owns the property, we don't have to probate their estate in any of the three states. Now, would someone have to have a living trust? in each state, or can they just have one that covers everything? Well, if they're a Tennessee resident, they would have one trust in the state of Tennessee, and that particular trust can then own or hold property in other states. So just one revocable living trust. Excellent. Well, I, mean, that's, I guess a question, too, Nathan, that if, if they don't have that, Mac, do they have to hire an attorney in each state, or can you do each state? That's a good question. Uh, no, you do end up having to have an attorney in each of those states because normally you can re uh, represent yourself. You can represent yourself in certain matters, but 
In a probate matter, you're actually not representing yourself. You're what we call a fiduciary, and a fiduciary has to have a lawyer because theoretically you're representing yourself, the beneficiaries, and the creditors of the estate. Well, if we need to have an attorney in each state and say they're a Tennessee resident and you know they're speaking with you, how do they go about if they if they live here and they've you know, lived in the other states, how do they find an attorney in those other states that they know will be able to help them? And do you have any you know, advice for those clients? Well, if they come to us, then we can assist them if they need attorneys in another state. We can assist them because we belong to various different organizations like the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys and the American Bar Association Probate and Real Property Section. So we can help them find someone that's credible and trustworthy. Let me ask an additional question here since we're talking about states. This is a question that came in yesterday, and I actually forgot to tell you about it, Nathan, but, it, but I remember it. Uh, the person is a not an adopted child, but a child of a, a, a foster child okay. Okay, that has spent basically 20 years in this relationship with this family. Uh, we have an elder person in her 80s, and this child lives now in Utah. She has named the child the executor and beneficiary, basically, of her state, which is a sizable estate. The attorney said he could serve as executor and beneficiary and not be a resident of the state of Tennessee. I challenged that a little bit, and you know, from that question. I mean, this was the question that came in, and I said, well, let me find out. I got somebody tomorrow's program. We'll ask the expert. So what's the answer to that? Well, it's a, it's a, a, that was a simple answer to a more complex question, because even though that individual probably can serve, they're going to have to post a bond. They're going to require a bond requirement. They may even require the lawyer to serve as a co-executor with that person. The lawyer. The lawyer representing the fiduciary, the lawyer representing this uh, foster child who's going to come and serve as the executor. And then they're going to require also that the state of Tennessee, Secretary of State, be appointed as the agent for service of process. All these things cost money and increase the potential cost of the probate process. And delays? And it can also increase the delays, yes, sir. What's the simple answer? The simple answer would be to appoint either a resident of the state of Tennessee or a corporate trustee like a bank or fiduciary, corporate fiduciary, or to name the attorney or the CPA for the individual who's creating the will. Okay, now let me, let me go back to this. You said a corporate trustee. Corporate trustee serving as the executor? Yes, sir. So they can serve as executor, um, and then you have to be very, very careful in that selection. Make sure it's someone that's going to carry out your wishes, and that's an interview process if you select a corporate trustee. So go ahead. I'm sorry. But you can also select if this person has an accountant or CPA they trust. That person who's a resident of the state of Tennessee could serve as the executor, or the lawyer who drafted the will could also serve as the executor. This person is an elder citizen. The elder citizen can make that selection while they're alive. Okay. That they have to do it while they're alive. The executor can't do this after death? That's correct. They cannot do it after death. Okay. <laughs> so that's a critical question. So, Nathan, you had another question. Yeah, there was another one. Um, a client says they have two children. Both children are unmarried, you know, probably in their 20s, maybe early 30s. And the client has a, you know, fairly sizable estate. They have a lot of property and they want their children to inherit the property. And their question was, if the children are going to inherit this property, do the children themselves need to have a last will and testament, even if they're unmarried? Yeah, that's a common question. Um, 
we always uh, recommend generational planning in our practice. And what that means is that we would look at the grandparents, the parents, and the children slash grandchildren. Uh, in order to uh, transfer assets from one generation to another, it's very important for all of them to have the appropriate legal documents in place. So we always recommend that the kids who are going to inherit a large estate from their parents also have their own personal estate planning in place. You know, what, what could one of the problems be if, if the children don't? I mean, what, you know, what would you foresee as some of the issues there? Uh, the biggest problem is what we call intestate succession, which simply means if someone dies without a will, they die intestate. And when you die without a will, you have to post bond, you have to do accountings, you have to do inventory, you have to do appraisals. Uh, there, it, it increases the cost of transferring the property from one generation to the another. Well, These are questions that I think are so important. If you just absolutely. tuned in today, we're listening to Mac Bailey. He is the... Um, Principal lawyer for the Bailey Law Firm, which concentrates on the areas of state taxation, planning, asset protection, charitable gift planning, business succession, and, of course, a specialty in elder law. And that's what we're talking about most. One of the thoughts for you, Mac, that I think Nathan and I see in our practices a lot is if someone is at a point in time where they, they're at that need, they may have to be moving to a nursing home or, or you know, a retirement center, the idea behind Medicaid eligibility yeah, you know, there's five ways to pay for your long-term care when you need long-term care. One is private pay. Uh, you, everyone understands that. You write a check. Two is long-term care insurance. Three is Medicare, but it only covers about 100 days of rehab. Four is Medicaid. And then the fifth is a VA-improved pension, which is available to veterans and surviving spouses of veterans. We look at all five of those when we're doing a plan, a legal plan, a long-term care legal plan for an individual. And Medicaid is certainly one aspect that we look at. And when you look at Medicaid, how about the eligibility? What does a person need? What are they allowed to have and still be eligible for Medicaid? Good question. Medicaid's a program for impoverished seniors. So impoverishment means you can't have a lot of assets. So there are certain assets that are exempt if you want to apply and receive Medicaid. The biggest asset being the home. Valued can be up to $550,000 in value. But after that, there's not much. Usually a single person, $2,000 in the bank, one automobile, uh, tangible personal property or stuff in the house, contents of the house. And that's about it if you're single. If you're married, you can keep another around $119,000 plus the house. Um, but after that, all those assets would have to be spent down before the person become eligible for Medicaid. And spent down does mean you could give them away. You could make a gift and you could transfer resources for less than fair market value. That's the magic word for gift. But if you do that, then after you have to wait five years before you would apply for Medicaid because there's a five-year look-back period because the government says, look, we don't mind paying for someone's care if they can't afford it. But if you give away all your resources, we need you to wait a little while before we'll agree to pay for your that's care. That's a great point. Now, I know that's not quite the same with veterans' benefits, is it? It works a little different. That's correct. Currently, right now, for VA benefits, there is no look-back period. You said currently. There's uh, been, for the past four or five years, introduced in Congress a potential uh, new law that would change that and implement a three-year look-back period instead of a five-year look-back period. But as of right now, that's not the rule. And so people can still transfer a million dollars away and the very next day apply and receive VA benefits ranging between $1,100 and $2,000 a month to help pay for their long-term care. And that can come to them directly? Is it to pay long-term care? It has to be paying long-term care? Or does it come for them just to take care of them? They receive a check, and then at that point, as long as they use it for some form of long-term care, it's appropriate, but they don't have to account for it. All right, let's make sure we understand something. Long-term care does not mean nursing home. 
It can mean nursing home. It could mean at-home care. It could mean uh, rehabilitation. There's a lot of different er uh, aspects of long-term care. Well, if you just tuned in, Mac Bailey is our guest, along with Nathan Powell. Nathan has got some questions when we come back right after this break, but comes going to ask some questions that how do you pick a lawyer? How do you how does the how do you make that question uh, come out the right way when you're trying to ask that? How do I hire a lawyer? It's one of the questions that came in, and of course, any time you want to talk to us, just send us an email. Got a question you want to get on the air? Send it to Talk Money at ShoemakerFinancial.com. Talk Money at ShoemakerFinancial.com. But how do you select an attorney? Boy, well, that is always a great question. Nathan will be with that question when we come back right after this break. Jim Shoemaker and Nathan Powell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated Securities Dealer Member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Shoemaker Financial and Securian Financial Services are not affiliated with Mac Bailey or Bailey Law Firm. Shoemaker Financial and Securian Financial Services do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should always consult their tax or legal professionals regarding their own specific situation. If you have financial questions that you would like answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. Jim Shoemaker along with Nathan Powell, Keith Quinn, and Mac Bailey. We're going to be talking more in a few minutes about what's going on with the EU. You heard the headlines. It seems like everybody's taking on the cheek. Well, you know, you have to find uh, the real answers and the real thought process behind this. And what do we do as the investors for the long haul? Now, if you're a short-term and you're trying to play the game and day trading and stuff like that, yeah, you're probably a little upset this morning. But reality is, Keith's going to walk us through the reality of staying in focus with what you're trying to do long-term and forgetting the next 30 days or 15 days or 10 days or whatever it's going to take to this to rebound. Emotions drive the market, but not for the long-term. So that's what Keith's going to help us with when we come back with Keith about 8.40. So stick with us. He's that second part of the program. He's got a ton of answers for us, a lot of insight, and uh, always does a great job. But right now, Nathan's got a couple of questions that, that I think what we're looking at is helping getting Mac to help us understand what are we what are the questions that we ask an attorney how do you how do you negotiate with an attorney when you got your mother in the room and she's thinking one thing and you're thinking something else where do you go and what do you look for and how's the attorney supposed to help all these are questions nathan you're yeah, I mean, rolling, man. Boy, that's, uh, you're, you're right. There are a ton of questions that we get, you know, day in and day out from our clients. And, you know, I think after, you know, someone has decided this is the type of attorney that I need, whether it's, you know, they're talking about elder law, contract law, when, whenever they identify what their specialty um, that they need, you know, what are some questions that clients need to be asking attorneys to make sure it's a good fit or in those initial meetings? Like you would not go to a podiatrist to have heart surgery. You need to select your lawyer also based on the type of practice area that lawyer is involved. So 
questions like how long have you been practicing law? You're going to ask what areas of practice do you actually practice law in? You're going to ask what kind of credentials. For example, do they have uh, an LLM? I have an LLM in elder law, which is an advanced degree after your Juris Doctorate degree. You're going to ask them what type of continuing education do they participate in? Does most of their CLE or continuing legal education focus in the practice area that you need help in? Uh, and they're going to ask you also, I think it's important to ask the amount of experience you have in this particular practice area, how long you've been practicing in there. These are all important questions to ask the lawyer, and the lawyer should not be offended by these questions. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, I think outside of, you know, the attorney obviously is going to want to get to know the client, but I've you know, just from what you've said, it sounds like it's equally as important for the client to be interviewing the, the attorneys to make sure that they understand, like you said, what their specialties are and, you know, if it's going to be a good fit. I had one client who wanted to see my law license, so I had to get up out of the conference room, walk all the way down the hall, take it off the wall, and bring it back, and then she wanted a copy of it in the frame. So uh, I provided it to her, and that made her comfortable with the proceeding. Well, that's, that's probably a request you don't get every day. Not every day. I'm no. glad you were prepared for it and, uh, and had a copy machine ready to go for it. Well, let's, let's talk about fees, because everyone thinks, you know, when they talk about attorneys, they're usually concerned about fees. What are the different ways that attorneys, you know, charge their fees. Okay. The uh, three primary areas, one is a percentage or contingency, and that's primarily in the personal injury field. Then there's also an hourly rate, and then there's fixed fees. Um, in our practice area, for estate planning and elder law, we charge fixed fees, and we have a menu of our fixed fees. makes it very easy on the client. We don't start working on any client's uh, case or work until they have signed a written engagement agreement that outlines those fees. That way, I know that the client knows what the fees are going to be. The number one reason for complaints against a bar, against a lawyer, is always fees, a misunderstanding of what was to be charged. And that's why it's important. If you have a lawyer who doesn't require a written engagement agreement, you have to wonder whether or not there's going to be a conflict at the end of the process. That's a, that's a very, very great point. And, you know, if you just mentioned, you know, there may be a conflict. How does how does someone resolve a conflict if they have an attorney and they've gone through this process and there wasn't any sort of written engagement or maybe there was and they're trying to figure out it's not exactly what we thought we were getting. How does someone go about handling that situation? Well, as I tell my clients, if you don't want to work with me, it's not really beneficial for me to work with you. And so in our written engagement agreements, pretty much the client, all they have to do is call and say, I think we need another lawyer. And so it's an easy termination process, and it should be an easy termination process. Uh, and all lawyers have to deal with it. Uh, I've dealt with it in the past. Um, it's not the commonplace in our practice, but it does happen. And you just simply call the lawyer and talk through the process, work out the remaining results, work out the remaining fees, and then move on. Well, let's say, you know, we've, we've gotten to the point someone has a, a few different, you know, references that they've gotten, maybe two or three attorneys. How does someone come to the decision point of which attorney they should be working with? Well, you know, just like when we refer business out to financial advisors, it's always got to be a character fit. It's got to be a location fit. It's got to be a comfort fit. And so ultimately the client needs to, if, if all three lawyers have similar qualifications, it comes down to who do you feel like you can work with the best? Who do you feel like has your needs uh, in your best interest? And, and a lot of times that's purely character fit. Don't you think, Nathan, that becomes an issue of trust? I mean, it's really, Always. it's really, they've got the sense that the lawyer is dealing with their best interests at heart, that there is a trust factor. You mentioned character, and I, and I think that's critical. So a good referral is important. 
then they've got to just say, hey, I believe this guy's going to, or gal is going to do the best for me and what I'm trying to do. And I think that you've got to be able to build a relationship with anyone that you're ever working with in a professional field, whether it's an attorney, a financial advisor, anyone who is giving you professional advice. It's got to be built on that solid relationship. relationship and that relationship's with a capital R, too. Yes, sir. That's a good point. Well, you know, again, I guess one of the questions, and we talk about with the elder law and the reality, I, I think at the end of the day, we've got to work with the mom or the dad. We've got to get the patient, I mean, the, the parent settled and comfortable. Trust, relationship, character, fees, all that's a part of it. But you got to take care of that person. So I guess, Mac, in, in kind of this final few minutes here that we've got to talk about this, Help me understand the dynamics between the, the child and the older parent. Well, many times we get contacted by the child, the adult child who's the caregiver. You mentioned the sandwich generation. Got young kids in school, parents in the long-term care facility. They're trying to figure out how are the parents going to pay for their long-term care, who's going to take care of them, are they going to be assets preserved at the end of the day. So sometimes we'll receive a little bit of a conflict between the child and the parent. The parent feels like maybe that um, the child is more interested in preserving assets for an inheritance. The child's really trying to have their best interest of the parent in mind, but they can't get that out of the back of their mind. So as I tell uh, my employees in the office, many times, even though we may have a lawyer hat on, we have to play psychiatrist and sometimes part uh, bartender. Uh, you know, you have to put a lot of hats on when you're dealing with this and understand the dynamics between the parent and the child. The dynamics between the parent and the child are always unique and different, and no set looks the same way. No, sir. And that's just what you have to keep in mind. Well, you tuned in, just tuned in, Mac Bailey with the Bailey Law Firm, specializing in elder law, which has kind of been our chief topic. But we'll have, he'll be back here at the end of the program. But estate and tax planning, asset protection planning, charitable gift planning, business succession planning, 843-2760. You can contact Mac, 843-2760. We would recommend him. We would tell you that he would do an excellent job for you. So glad to have him as part of the program. A very frequent guest of ours. Going to take a break with Rebecca Brazier, and she'll be with us. uh, She's going to talk about Mid-South History Moment. We'll be right back after this. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Investments in commodities and natural resources involve heightened risk due to leveraging and speculative investment practices, lack of periodic valuation requirements, and potentially complex tax structures. Helping you make the most of your money, Talk Money will return right after this. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the listener as research or investment advice regarding any funds or stocks in particular, nor should it be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Helping you make the most of your money, this is Talk Money. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest is uh, Keith Quinn, our chief investment officer at Shoemaker Financial. Extremely knowledgeable. And as I said earlier, you know, and I said sidekick. I don't know if that was it. He kind of ran the program. I was his sidekick more than anything else. Boy, that's not true. Boy, it was true, too. And uh, I know who was in charge of the program. Yeah, Art but, uh, was in charge. <laughs> yeah, well, Art. Okay, Art was in charge. By the way, I want to announce that this will be Art's last week with us. And, uh, boy, Art, we're going to miss you, man. I mean, honestly, we don't particularly like that. And we're looking at maybe barring doors. I hate for you to have to live in the studio. But 
I appreciate it. I'm going to miss you guys, too. You've been a perfect guy for us. And I kind of regret giving you my phone number now. Well, <laughs> no, not a chance, man. Not a chance. You know, but uh, we wish you the best. Uh, we know what you're going to be doing. You'll be definitely uh, very valuable where you're going to be. You've been extremely valuable to us, and we thank you. And uh, uh, cannot say enough about you. But a great guy to work with, and so thank you so much. I for would totally echo that. Fantastic all, all guy day, to work with all day long. Producer and board operator for us, and just uh, always keeps us on track. And at the end of the day, tells us, yeah, it was kind of an okay program, or maybe about <laughs> one out of twenty. He said, "Hey guys, y'all did good today. That's pretty good." So, but uh, I guess what I really want to know, Keith. I mean, we started out the market's down up five hundred points, right? Uh, to some people listening, that may be a panic button. Well, it, I mean, it's you know, it's one of those things that we always talk about, the headline risk. It does sound bad. If you just look at a couple of the headlines on CNBC this morning, Dow drops 500 points, S&P worst open since 1986. Here's why the markets are freaking out. Dow futures plunge. Uh, you know, the, that kind of stuff is, is what you're going to see. It's what you're going to see all day today. If you got thin blood, you're worried about it. That's right. And, the you know, the thing that we always say, Jim, and before we get more into the details about this, is thinking about the fundamentals. If you're a long-term investor, uh, I can promise you, you know, this will be a blip on the horizon. And actually, if you have professional money managers, this provides an opportunity because what's happening, you know, nothing is fundamentally different about the world than it was yesterday. But a lot of these companies that we really liked yesterday, today they're on sale. Uh, it's one of the few areas where stuff goes on sale and everybody runs for the door rather than everybody running <laughs> in to buy. If you went by Kroger this morning and it said a 50% sale or a 10% sale, 20% sale, you couldn't get in You would be all online. over it. That's you know, exactly right. Everybody would be in there trying to buy as much as they could or any of your Macy's or any of your Dillard's had a big sale on or, you know, the kayak store would be, people would go and be looking for it. I'd well, be there, right? Absolutely. I would too if it was the kayak store. <laughs> uh, and actually, but then, you know, they talk about this too. Well, you know, we don't want to be thinking that we're investing in this in the market, in the stock market, because it just sounds inherently risky. You know, we're owning these good companies and that's what long-term investors, what we want to do. You know, we think more about fundamentals, about, you know, cash flow, of uh, uh, sales, things like that. Now, obviously, this is brings in a lot of uncertainty and the market hates uncertainty but as long-term investors you know we think about those principles we've always talked about has the market gone down before you know yeah, true sure has the market always come back after it's gone down yes has and of course, past performance is not indication. not indicative of anything. <laughs> However, this goes back to 1926. Has the market always gone on to set new highs? Absolutely. And by the way, speaking of new highs, we were very, very close to breaking through that little bit of a barrier that we kind of call that new high barrier. And, uh, you know, is this a setback? It says, does that change the fundamentals that that's going to tell us we can't do that? No. Right. We came very close to, you know, we set a new high May 21st of last year, 2130 on the S&P. We got within about a percent of that, a little less than a percent. Uh, the market, the U.S. market, no matter how you look at it, was fairly to a little bit overvalued, perhaps. So, you know, this kind of volatility is not something that we like to see. What we really don't like to see is that if it does cause long-term investors, especially to panic, to make an emotional decision, I can promise you that never, ever works out well. So here's what here's what panic might just look like for a lot of people. Right. I run to treasuries. I run to gold. I Both run of to which cash. are being bid up like crazy today. Okay, and they're all going up. Yep. You see, and oil prices drop. So you got all these things that are being bid up, and all of a sudden you're out there trying to buy something because you're probably already too late. 
and you're trying to get into something, you pay a little extra premium for it. Instead of it going on sale, they raised the price last night. And so now you're running to that because you're panicked. Right. And then, you know, the market settles, the headlines settle, and you've got a lot of reasons why that could happen next week, the two weeks or a month later. The reality is, so now all of a sudden your panic goes away, and you decide to... Okay, let me get back in the market. What happens? Oh, gosh, yeah. And by the time you decide to get back in, typically the market has gone higher. So you've sold low. You end up buying high. Oh, wait a um, minute. Now, that doesn't sound right. Sell yeah, low. Sell low and buy, buy high. high. Yeah, that's not a good philosophy. other thing? I mean, it's buy exactly high right. and, you know, right. I mean, sell high and buy low? And it's, you know, it's exactly what we want to think about. But this is real. And even though, you know, it's the thing that we talk about a lot, we could say that it's an emotional response. But the market is down 500 points. This is very real. So if you have a holding, you know, it will be down today. But does that mean it's intrinsically worth uh, any less today than it was yesterday? And I would argue that it's not. Okay. Some of the reasons why your argument is very solid. Tell us about that. I mean, the fact that there's this partnership, I mentioned it earlier, that's possibly on the headlines that, you know, that's kind of not, it's not. Major headlines, it's buried a couple of pages in, but the reality is Germany's looking at it. The Brussels is thinking through it. They don't want to leave. Right. They don't want Britain to leave. And we talked about the reasons why, but from an economic standpoint, they'd like to keep them around. So, number one, I would stress again, this is early, early, early on in the process. We are just getting a lot of information that's coming in um, so it's really hard to, to figure out what's going on right now. And again, we're back to the market hating uncertainty. But here's a couple things to think about. David Cameron, the British prime minister, has said he was going to resign. Uh, he's going to resign because he feels like someone else would be better positioned to help them with this transition. He doesn't plan to leave until October. The referendum vote yesterday was not legally binding. They don't have to leave the EU, but as a democracy, they want to honor the will of the people. And again, they had that vote. To leave, to start the formal process, to leave the European Union, David Cameron would have to invoke Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty. And this is where the European Union gets really complicated with all the different treaties that govern all the different rules. Uh, but if he doesn't evoke Article 50, which he could avoid, potentially they could negotiate a different status with the EU. I'm not implying they will. I'm just saying it's a possibility. There was a position paper that was uh, came out this morning uh, that uh, Germany had put together on plan for handling uh, a United, uh, the British exit from the EU, and they had talked about potentially offering them this associated partnership status, which is what you would normally offer to a country that is potentially going to enter the EU. Which is so Tur it, Turkey got this a right, couple of years ago. Exactly. It would be a way to ease them into the EU. So it's giving them some of the economic advantages without having some of the restrictions uh, by the rulemaking coming out of Brussels. So, you know, potentially there would be a way to negotiate some sort of associated partnership status where they would keep the economic advantages, not have to deal with the rules coming out of Brussels. And by no means saying that will happen. I'm just saying we don't know yet. And that's one of the things as long term investors, we don't make investment decisions on things that we don't know or can't predict. You know, we're only reading the headlines. And I talked to someone, a couple of people yesterday that have companies in Europe and right. Great Britain, have plants in Great Britain. And, and the, what we were told, and again, this is only headlines and some personal things from people there. We can't back a lot of this up, but the reality is a lot of this had to do with sovereignty. Right. And Great Britain's sovereignty, the control of who they are. 
talk just briefly about that. Well, they, and I think the clearly the majority felt like, you know, they've lost control of their own country. Uh, now, they kind of knew this going in, I would think, uh, but I think that's been more of an issue, especially with immigration. And immigration is, you know, has been a big part of this. Uh, immigration is going to be a big part of, of our elections this fall. It's, a, it's an issue that's on the, the front of everyone's mind, uh, and I do think that had a, a major impact on this. And, and, you know, you and I have talked about that, the ability to move around in Europe without having to show a passport at the border with all these countries that are open. You know, if an immigrant comes in in the south, they can move north. Uh, and it's, you know, it's that lack of control, I think, that the, the British people felt like that lack of sovereignty was too high of a price to pay for the potential economic benefits of, of being in the European Union. And the Union. social programs that a person moves in, then right. moves back. I mean, you, the comment was yesterday that a person lives in or moved in, stayed a while in, the, in, in, the, in Britain, then moves back to Czech, the Czech Republic or Slovakia or to another country, and they still get the benefits. Right, and they were also talking about, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. There's this uh, competition from skilled labor that would move into Europe, and they would take some of these higher-paying jobs that the unions had had for the English workers. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of moving parts to this, and the markets uh, are definitely not reacting well today. Typically, when you see this big of a move, you do overshoot to the downside. Uh, but, you know, we would absolutely expect the volatility to keep up uh, into the foreseeable future. But volatility is not... Risk. Risk, we always say, is a permanent loss of capital, inability to earn a rate of return that outpaces inflation. So you don't have a permanent loss of capital unless you own a company that goes bankrupt. Uh, and a lot of the companies right now are realizing that even if this goes ahead, they're going to have two years to work out how to uh, to. Uh, adjust their business plans accordingly so it gives them plenty of time to deal with it. Uh, so I would just think that this is more of a, even though it's real, somewhat of an emotional reaction in the fact that we corrected this much in the market this quickly. And again, I think two months ago we were talking about this. Six months ago we were talking about this. Two weeks ago we were talking about this. This is not something that has surprised it's us. It's not now, something that snuck up on us. I think the results may have surprised us because of yesterday. The reality is we were playing back and forth what ifs and what ifs and we made a decision as the investment committee, as a firm, that this could not be a knee-jerk. You didn't go out and prepare something on Monday because the other could have happened, which we saw a little bit of yesterday's philosophy and somewhat last week when we saw something. Then the market could have jumped and gone the other way. The reverses happened. It did surprise us. But the reality is, regardless of where it would have gone, it would not have made a fundamental change for us to change the fundamentals that we do as an investment group Asset allocation, right? Stocks, bonds, and cash, and we always talk about diversification. Diversification and rebalancing, and plus, you know, we looked at the fact that if you look over the last twenty years and you have your return just staying invested in the S and P, and I think it was around eight. Well, if you miss just the ten best days, it cuts that in half, in half. And six of the ten best days came within two weeks of the worst days. So, you know, it's a very dangerous game to try and time the market when you have volatility like this. Here's the thing that we always focus on. We're focusing on putting portfolios together from a planning perspective. Has your plan changed? Is your plan different today than it was yesterday? I think for the vast majority of people, it's going to be no. Has your time horizon changed? Is that different today than it was yesterday? I think for the vast majority of people, that's going to be no. If your plan hasn't changed, if your time horizon hasn't changed, if your goals haven't changed, don't make an emotional reaction to a short-term volatile move in the market. We talked about this as well. You and I were both up last night watching this. Yeah. Uh, in 2008, I was up you know, in the middle of the night watching what was going on in Asia. Uh, and it just brought back those memories because it brought back the fact that 
even though it was horrible. And remember, in 2008, at one point in 2009, peak to trough, the S&P 500 was down 57%, much worse than this. But the absolute right thing to do was stay invested because within two years, you had made that back and you started moving back up. And that's the key right there. So I guess what I want people to understand, emotions are real. But it's very real. Headlines are real. Yes. And as you get caught up into it, we have a tendency to normally make a knee-jerk this is not a knee jerk. We saw this in January. I mean, January, we plummeted for almost 30 days. Well, we had the first, the worst first six weeks in the market ever, ever, uh, ever to a year. Now, and you had said, you know, as a trader, if you're a trader, I've got some advice for you. I'd go short today. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, Quit. if you're a long term <laughs> investor, uh, yeah, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't make a decision to get out. Uh, because, again, the only reason you would get out is if you think you can buy in at a lower price, uh, and that is market timing in the extreme, and you just don't know what is going to come out to change that sentiment. You know, if you think about what took place in January, the first six weeks, and then how it ended up as of day, you know, yesterday, we were up instead of down for the market. Right. Everything came back rapidly. A quick V is something that we just see when we call it volatility. Right. We don't see this being any more than a quick V. And the other thing that you had mentioned that I think is important as well, uh, you'd also talked about, you know, what do we think about the fundamentals? The fundamentals is asset allocation. How much you have in stocks? How much do you have in bonds? Well, guess what? Bonds are doing pretty well today. Uh, you know, the Treasury market is getting bit up uh, madly. You know, yep. as you said, uh, rates have dropped to as low as they've been since 2012 when the 10-year Treasury was at 147. So we see yields coming down as prices go up. Gold has gone up, a pure flight to, uh, flight to safety. So it's very much risk off. But these are short-term things that we talk about. And again, doesn't impact the long-term prospects of a lot of these companies we own. Are people getting up and going to work today? Absolutely. Uh, is anybody telling their research and development to stop doing their, nope. their work today? No. Uh, Long-term, you know, this will be something that we'll remember. Uh, but it's like Greece. It's like the financial crisis in 2008. It's like the tech bubble in 2000 when, you know, you could have a legitimate bubble when you had these outrageously high price-to-earnings ratios on tech stocks. The mean was at 157. I mean, everybody could see that bubble. But guess what? We recovered from all of these. And again, price, the fair market value today. Fair market much value. But as we knock these down, then the price to earnings ratios look better. Well, you've been listening to Keith Quinn. We've given you kind of an update of the Brexit and what's going on with Great Britain exiting the EU. He's talked about it may, may not happen. It's not law. So it's a lot of stuff. We'll keep you kind of posted. Uh, we'll have him back next week to kind of give you a summary as we've got more information. Before we leave, though, our guest has been with us today. Again, somebody that's with us a lot. That's Mac Bailey with the Bailey Law Firm. And Mac, I have one quick question for you, because if somebody's got Medicaid, Medicare, they got to pay for long-term care, all the ways to do that, Give us a summary in about two about a minute and a half, actually. <laughs> how do you pay for all that? Well, how you pay for it is you got to get a plan. You always have to have a plan. And if you don't have a plan, you can't effectuate anything. So one of the first things we do is put together a plan for the individual. We balance out all these things. No different than you doing a financial plan. So we'll balance out Medicaid. We'll balance, balance out the VA benefits. We'll look at their long-term care insurance benefits. We'll look at how much money they have in the bank. We'll look at how much they want to pass on to their kids. We'll look at their income stream. And basically, we look at all their assets, their income, and what resources they have available, including government benefits as to how to pay for long-term care, and then we put a plan together. 
And that plan is one that you just work with them to help them implement it. Absolutely. It's a written plan. It's something one, two, three, four, five that they can follow. Very good. Mike Bailey, the Bailey Law Firm, Nathan Powell, Shoemaker Financial. You can reach Nathan at calling him at 757-5757. Ask for Nathan Powell. Get great advice again. And also, Mac Bailey, 843-2760. I want to thank my guest today, guys. You did a great job. Power pack, Keith. Way to go, man. Oh, yeah. Loved it. Fun appreciate stuff. it very much so. <laughs> of course, as always, my producer and board operator and dear friend, somebody we're going to miss a lot, Art Frederick. We look forward to just kind of keeping his cell phone real close. And a guest <laughs> in content coordination, Francis Fortner, production assistant, Eleanor Moskovich. History Moment, Mid-South History Moment by Rebecca Brasher, written by Drew Johnson, Mac Bailey, Nathan Powell, Keith Quinn, and Jim Shoemaker. We're here every Friday helping you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker, Keith Quinn, and Nathan Powell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services Incorporated Securities Dealer Member FINRA SIPC. A registered investment advisor, Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.